Genesis 32, and we're going to go all the way through 32. Starting with verse 1, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of, le of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and of all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now have, come, have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had, he took with, uh, from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Then he handed over his servants to his servants every drove by itself and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has been broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word.
that you have so graciously given us a way that we can uh, interact with you so that you, you've just spoken to us. God, would you let that sit heavy on our hearts? And then over the course of, of the next 20 or so minutes, God, would you, uh, would you show us exactly what you have for us? Would you give us today our daily bread in you? We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the very first time I ever snowboarded, uh, I went down a double diamond hill, which you start with bunny slopes, then you go up to the green slopes, then you go up to the blue slopes, then you have the black diamonds, and then you have the double black diamonds. And before you go on it, like there, even the lifts say, like, warning, only for experienced riders. And I was like, okay. Um, I'd take that as a challenge. Uh, and I went, and it was not good. On the way down, there were these things called moguls. I don't know if any of you guys are skiers or snowboarders, but um, skiers are really good at moguls because you can go in and out of the little, they're just a bunch of little hills on top of the hill that you're going down. Um, hill, it's a mountain. And so the moguls are really easy for skiers, but really hard for snowboarders. And this is my first time, I didn't know what a mogul was. Um, so I hit the heel edge, I start flipping backward down the mountain. Um, and it's just, it's so steep that I can't stop myself at all. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. Um, well, luckily, a tree was in my path um, and stopped me pretty hard. But I fell into this thing called a tree well. I don't know if you are familiar with what a tree well is, but let me just show you a little bit of what that would have looked like for me. Hit the jump. Hit it, hit it. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> you okay? Ethan! Heads up! It's okay, it's okay! Here we go, here we go! Here we go! I got you! Ethan, man, you can just see when he's going out, Ethan just disappears. And you're like, hold up. And then when dad rolls up and he's like, Ethan, you're like, is he talking to the tree? Who is he talking to? Uh, And then he's like 12 foot down in that hole. Uh, So that's what happened to me. I'm head first backwards into this hole and there's no moving whatsoever. Um, And so, you know, how he was screaming like a little girl, that was me. I was like, what are I supposed to do? I went down a double black diamond. Nobody knew I was going. Um, this little girl pulled me out. <clears throat> it was really sweet of her. I, she couldn't even speak yet, but she pulled me out of there. Uh, but I, t- I tell you this story because this is uh, what we see in our passage about Jacob just crying out. Like for me, it was crying out in a helpless, desperate, like I need help here. Um, and we see the exact same thing from Jacob. In verse 11, In his prayer to God, he says, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. And then in verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Like there's a desperation there. So what does he mean? Like what does he mean when he says, Like I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. It's the, uh, it cannot mean material blessing. It cannot mean uh, any sort of thing like health or wealth because Jacob gets none of that. Uh, He actually gets wrestled with and then, uh, maimed for the rest of his life. Uh, 
So it can't mean any sort of thing like that. Bless here is actually just the same word that we've seen throughout Genesis. Um, and it means very simply to be fully satisfied in God. He doesn't necessarily know that. He knows like, okay, I know that God is going to bless me. Um, he thinks it's, it's a fully satisfied thing. He just doesn't know that it's in God, which is why Jacob's life is, oh, I tried here, I tried here. Never gets it until here. Why does Jacob want this? Because he's not fully satisfied. He wanted his dad's approval. He wanted Rachel. Uh, he didn't get Rachel, then he got Rachel, then Rachel couldn't have any kids. Then Jacob gets cheated by, his, uh, by Laban for 20 years. Jacob's not satisfied with his life, and now he's going back home to meet his brother Esau, and he's terrified because the last time he left Esau, he took his birthright from him. He took um, his blessing that Esau was supposed to get. He took it from him, and then uh, Esau said, all right, man, listen, when dad dies, I'm coming for you. And we think that he was probably being serious because uh, Jacob and Esau's mom, she's like, Jacob, you need to leave. Get out of here. So that's why he left. So he's terrified. That's the last encounter that he had with his brother. Now he's coming back. He's not satisfied. He didn't end up killing him because Jacob ran away. But now he hears that Esau's coming and, he got, and he's got an army of 400 men with him. So when Jacob says, please deliver me, and when Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me, we can hear the desperation. We know that Jacob knows that this is it. Like, this is do or die time, and I'm about to lose my life. So what does Jacob do? Like we see this is, what, this is where his life is at. What does he do? Jacob's at the ultimate crossroads. Something has to change, and he prays. He cries out to God. He wrestles with God until God blesses him. And we see the truth of the passage for you and I. If anything in our lives is going to be God transformed, if anything in our lives is going to be God blessed and leave us fully satisfied, if we are ever going to be God delivered from anything, it comes by wrestling with God. It comes through prayer. When the doctor walks out of the OR coming with bad news, when our spouse confesses an adulterous affair, when we lose our job, when we don't get the promotion we needed because the bill check is more than the paycheck, when we're sitting just like Jacob in the dark, all alone, we have two options. We can give up or we can wrestle, we can pray, we can plead, we can beg God for grace and mercy. And if we do, in this way, the promise from the passage is that blessing comes. Which will you choose? Because this is a situation that you and I find ourselves in way more times than not. Something has got to change, but most of the times we do nothing. Most of the times... Uh, our lives just go on unchanged by God because we don't pray. Maybe we don't know how. But we see in Jacob a true life change. The narrative takes us from darkness of night to light of day. Everything in Jacob's life changes with this encounter with God. And it all begins by Jacob wrestling with God. So how do we do it? Three ways to pray and wrestle from our text and the first is pray God's word, pray persistently, and pray boldly. 
Three ways to pray and wrestle from our text. Pray God's word, pray persistently, and pray boldly. If we wrestle with God in these ways, the promise from God's word is that we will be fully satisfied in God. We will be blessed by God. We will be delivered by God, and so our lives will change. We want that, so let's take a look at how we get it. Look at verse 9. When Jacob begins his prayer, we see that he appeals to just everything that God has already told him in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, uh, which is just a remembrance, like, hey, God, I remember that you are the God of them. I remember how you blessed them. Uh, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And then in verse 12, he does the same thing. But you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What's he doing? He's praying God's promises back to God. Not to, like, oh, hey, God, just in case you forgot, but to remember them himself. He's taking hold of the promises of God that are already there. When you and I read our Bibles, we are forfeiting the grace that is before us if we do not pray through what we are reading. We have to read our Bibles as though we're praying through God's word. I'll be honest with you, it's a lot easier in the New Testament than the Old Testament, but, but in every scripture we see Jesus, in every scripture we see um, our own selves and how we fall short of what the scriptures are calling us to. There should be nothing but prayer when we read the Bible. And this is just what Jacob does. He says, God, you promised, so now I'm here. Give me exactly what you promised me. When you and I read a promise from God, we pray them back to God in order to take hold of them in our, ourselves. Uh, in a really odd Supreme Court case, uh, the United States versus Wilson, it's actually from 1833, the defendant, George Wilson, he pled guilty to just several counts of, of endanger, endangering people, um, endangering the life of a mail driver, robbing people, and he was set up to be executed. Well, President Andrew Jackson at the time, he issued uh, Wilson a full pardon. I don't know why, we don't know why. Um, but then Wilson, he refused it. He said, no, I'm not going to take it. So the Supreme Court was like, we've never seen this before. I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, so it's, it was just a really odd case, and that's why it went up to the Supreme Court. But here, um, here is their verdict. A pardon is an act of grace which exempts the individual on whom it is bestowed from the punishment the law inflicts for a crime he has committed. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected, and if it be rejected, we've discovered no power in a court to force it on him. It does not matter how gracious the grace is. If someone refuses to accept it, the grace does no good. God has already extended the grace to you and I in Jesus Christ, in the word of God, and we are fools to let it go to waste. It's right there. Full pardon, full grace. That's why when we read God's word, we're, we're praying this back to God. So then, our question, do you pray through, God, through God's promises to lay hold of the grace given to you? Do you read? There's deliverance, there's satisfaction, there's blessing, and it comes through praying God's word. 
but it also comes through praying persistently. Verse first. Point two, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So Jacob hears that Esau is coming with this army and then just literally out of nowhere a man just starts wrestling with Jacob. No introduction, no like, hey, how are you doing? No anger. It's just they start wrestling um, all the way like from the beginning of the night to the break of day. I don't know how long that is, but it's a long time. Um, and after all of this, after all of the wrestling, God blesses him. But notice, it took all night. It took literal wrestling all night. There's an aspect to which you and I do not have our prayers answered because we are not coming to the throne room of grace with persistence. Over and over and over again, we pray until something happens. We pray until something changes. This is the prayer that God answers. When was the last time you prayed for something or someone more than once? If Jesus came back, would he find faith on earth in you and I? There's deliverance, there's satisfaction, there's blessing, and it comes through praying persistently, point three, but it also comes through uh, praying boldly. If you look at verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. This is God speaking. Later on, you see Jacob say, I just saw God face to face. So we see uh, God just said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So God has just torn Jacob's hip out of the socket with just a touch. And Jacob still is saying, like, no, I'm not going to let go. Like, think about this for a second. He's wrestling with the God of the universe. And he just said, you bless me. The God of the universe. Like, when I read this, it was like, ooh. Like, man, don't you know who that is? Like, there's a, there should be like a, a, some sort of respect there, right? But what we don't realize, or at least what I did not realize, is that is respectful to God. It's like, come, come to me. Come to me. Come with me. This. And so God Jacob's, God Jacob's, God blesses Jacob's prayer and wrestling. Just listen to Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. Answer me quickly, O Lord. Make me know the way I should go. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. What we see all over the Bible is not some whamby-pamby prayers. The prayers we see when, when people are petitioning the throne room, they're intense, they're, they're bold, they're confident. They're like, God, do this. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whatever it is that you and I find ourselves in, whatever circumstance or disease or situation or heartbreak or despair or affliction or suffering, there is a deliverance and there is a grace and there is a blessing and there is a satisfaction and we get it through praying prayers like this. Coming to the throne room bold. However, the problem with you and I is that we're not very bold. We don't read God's word all the time. We don't pray through God's word when we do read it, maybe sometimes. 
We don't pray with persistence always, which is the lack of persistence. We're not very bold. Telling someone, uh, telling someone who is scared not to be scared doesn't make them any less scared. We have to see why it is that you and I are to be bold. What we need is for our heart to change. Once our heart changes, then our behavior changes. It's why you can't get a teenager to wear deodorant until he meets a girl. Our hearts do not change until our affections change. It's the same for us. Our behaviors do not change until our affections change. So how does God do it? Like if looking at it, we are not bold, we're not persistent, we're not going to do that. What's, what's going to happen? God comes in and wrestles. God wrestles Jacob to the floor, wounds him for life. Why? Because God does not give us comfort unto change. God does not give us comfort unto change. God wrestles us unto change. The human heart is unbelievably wicked. Jeremiah says it's, it's so wicked, don't trust it. And you know your own thoughts. You see where it goes sometimes. God has to come and wrestle us away from our idols, from the wickedness of our own hearts, or we have no chance. There is no prayer that we can pray. This is completely anti some of the gospels that are preached of. Um, if, you, if you do this, if you pray this prayer, if you do these things, if you obey, if you have enough faith, if you pray, um, if you have your devotional time, then, then God will bless you with amazing things for an amazing life. It's utter nonsense, biblically speaking. Because the truth of the matter is, Jacob obeys. God says, go, and he's going, and then Jacob prays. He has a great devotional life in this moment. And what does God do? Just wrestles with him to the floor and maims him for life. What? Jacob gets no material blessing. He gets no spiritual high five, no amazing and comfortable life, but he wrestles him to the floor and maims him for life, tears his hip out of socket. He limps for the rest of his life. But do you see the blessing there? Why has Jacob changed? Because this is the moment. This is the pinnacle. Why is Jacob changed after this moment? Because he just went 12 rounds with the very blessing he is supposed to behold. The time spent wrestling with God changed the heart of Jacob. Maybe the circumstances never change, but our hearts will. Jacob's situation didn't change. In fact, it got worse. Like if you look at it, he can't run away now. God doesn't say to Jacob, go and you'll be fine. He says, go and I will be with you. God never promises the boyfriend or the health or the job or the finances, but he promises himself. So then our question is how? How does God promise himself? How do we know that he does? Through Jesus Christ. You see, we're supposed to see a glimpse of Jesus in this story with Jacob because let's ask the question, why didn't God just crush Jacob? Like this is, after all, the God of the universe. Why didn't he, I mean, and we saw the power that he had with just a touch. Like you know in a split second, that mug could have been over. Why didn't God win? This is actually like the text would, it astounded Hebrew writers when, or readers when they would read that in verse 25, when it says God could not overpower Jacob. And they're like, hold, hold up. Wait a minute. What's going on here? God became voluntarily weak. 
like a dad letting his son win in a wrestling match. In this moment, God became weak to let Jacob win because if God had won, he wouldn't have changed Jacob's heart. If God had won that wrestling match, he would have won, yes, but he wouldn't have won Jacob's heart. God lost for the sake of Jacob winning. God failed for the sake of Jacob's heart. And this moment points to the ultimate place where God won by losing the cross of Jesus Christ. Centuries after Jacob, the full weight that Jacob deserved, the full strength of wrestling sin to death, came down on Jesus Christ. Jesus was crushed in our place. He took the penalty that you and I deserved, that Jacob deserved. He got the full weight of justice, and yet he held on. Jesus, in the most amazing moment in all of human history, says, I will not let you go until you bless them. You and I. 1 John says this, and this, everything that we just talked about, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if, we, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The truth of the gospel is that it, this is really and truly only something that Jesus was able to do, and he did it. But the truth of the gospel is that this power is now ours in Christ. You and I receive our blessings when we deserve the curse because God cursed the one who deserved the blessing. This is the reason why we pray. This is the reason why we pray persistently, why we pray boldly, because we have that boldness and the righteousness we have in Christ. In the righteousness you and I have in Jesus, there is nothing but a perfect record behind us when we pray. And so when we pray, we pray in remembrance of this gospel truth. This is why the Lord's Prayer starts out with our Father. We remember our place in the course of human history as a son, as a daughter, our Father. When we pray, we pray on behalf of Jesus' work for us. Otherwise, our prayers are going to be weak. But in the righteousness of Jesus, we can pray bold things like, Hear my cry, O Lord. Make my path straight. Save my friend. Save that people group. Hear, uh, hear the cries of all your people. Heal them. Give me grace. We pray for and we reap the, the blessings of this new life in Christ in the middle of everything that's going to afflict us and put us on the floor. We don't pray in a weak way. We pray as though Christ died to, to, for us to be able to do it. We don't pray in a weak way. We pray as though Christ died for us to be able to do it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion together and, and pray together as a family under this same righteousness. And so in this time, if you're an unbeliever or if you're in unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat on the basis of 1 Corinthians, it says you would eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But if you're an unbeliever in this room, there is a freedom. There is a life. There is a power. And this kind of power is available to you in Christ Jesus, but only in Christ Jesus. There's nothing any of us can give you. There's nothing any other person can give you. It's only through Christ. Pray to God for salvation. If you're in unrepentant sin, pray for your own repentance. 
pray that God would restore you to the joy of your salvation, that you may live and pray again. So that when you pray day after day after day after day, persistently, boldly for things to happen, things will happen. For all of us, here is our prayer. Father, we admit that in and of ourselves we are Des- we desperately need, we are in desperate need of this body and this blood to cover us, for we have no righteousness of our own. We thank you that Jesus was crushed on our behalf, that we may reap the benefit of wrestling with you and being changed. I pray that you would blank. During this time of communion, uh, whatever it is that you feel God is, is leading you to pray for, whatever you have a heart for, pray during this time. Pray in the righteousness of Christ that he has given you, gifted you with. And the truth is that our lives may never look like what we hope or pray they might look like. Maybe that sickness doesn't go away. Maybe we remain in poverty. Maybe we pray for safety and God comes and maims us for the rest of our lives. But as long as we wrestle, as long as we fight, as long as we pray, and commune with the fa- God the Father and the righteousness we have in Christ, then you and I will be blessed. Because the blessing comes when our heart changes. Because we'll be wrestling with the very thing we truly and actually need the most, way more than anything that it is we're praying for. And mind-blowingly, God will be there. How do we know? this body and this blood. They were crushed and spilled that you and I may have nothing but love left from the Father. Nothing but, yeah, I'm going to answer that prayer because of the righteousness that we are covered in. This is why we wrestle. This is why we pray. All because on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread when he had given thanks. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you would just so paradoxically, that you would so amazingly set up our lives to look like something like this that left unto ourselves where nothing but wretches, nothing but sinful human beings, but in your love, in your grace and mercy, you, you call out and say, sinners, come to me. And by your grace, we come and, and we get to be a part of, of praying for, for our people that we know and love to, to come to, to saving faith in you as well. We get to see um, things happen. We get to see circumstances change. But even if none of that was true, God, we know that just in that time, as we pray with you, as we wrestle with you for things to happen, what's happening is our heart is changing. God, I don't know if you're, if you're growing our hearts. I don't know if you're taking wicked parts, probably both. But in all of it, we thank you. What an amazing life to get to be a part of. Would you you remind us daily of the gospel truth that when we pray, 
we would have a boldness. Would you remind us of the work of Jesus so that when we think about praying, we're like, oh no, I gotta, I've got to make my, my life right, that you would take that away, God. That you would show us, that you would point us to Jesus and say, here is your righteousness. Here is your righteousness that was gifted to you, that, was, uh, that is for you. Now come to me. And help us to do that, Father. And whatever that looks like, however you do that, the surgery that you have to do by your word, would you do it? We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.